Tonight on Fast, the big show, we are going off the charts. One top technician is laying out the three best-looking stocks to play heading into the new year. We'll bring you those names straight ahead. Plus, a Moderna meltdown. The vaccine maker getting whacked today, but we spotted something in the market that could point to a big turnaround trade. And later on, a crypto coincidence? The one chart that shows Bitcoin could hold the keys to where the market is heading. That's coming up next. We'll explain. Welcome, everyone, to The Big Show. I am Dominic Chu in for Melissa Lee tonight. Tonight's trader lineup, as you've seen him right there, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, and BK, Brian Kelly. That is your crew tonight. And we start with the mad dash for holiday travel. The airline stock's flying higher with just one full day left before Christmas Eve and people are starting to flock to the airports and taking to the skies nationwide to get home in time for Christmas. The Transportation Safety Administration screening 1.9 million airline passengers yesterday. That's roughly, by the way, in line with pre-pandemic levels for this time period. The holiday surge is coming even as the Omicron cases skyrocket here in the U.S. But before you wait in those long lines at the airport, many are waiting in long lines at COVID testing centers all across the country. So how is this latest COVID spike impacting the travel trade overall? For that, we turn to Seema Modi, who kicks us off tonight. Seema, with the travel outlook. Yeah, Dom's the spread of Omicron has more Americans canceling international trips and booking travel closer to home. I spoke to the CEO of Kayak, Steve Hafner. He's telling me searches for international trips are down 33% compared to 2019 levels and that the shift to domestic is even more pronounced in the last few days. He says people are canceling going abroad to travel locally in warm weather locations like Florida in Arizona. Travel agents also sharing that testing is very high on travelers' priority lists, so finding the hotels that provide on-site testing or locations where it's easy to get a COVID test to ensure you're not spreading it to family or friends. If travelers are staying domestic, BTIG analysts say names like Expedia and Airbnb will benefit with their vacation rental platforms. You'll see Expedia outperforming this week. And if we turn to the cruise lines, despite news of passengers testing positive on board some of the ships, Cruise stocks are up big this week after Carnival's business update where CEO Arnold Donald said he's only seeing a small spike in cancellations due to Omicron and that bookings for the second half of 2022 look strong. The company did push back, though, when it will turn a profit due to the ongoing uncertainty around the variant. Dom. All right. Seema Modi with the latest there on the travel outlook. Thank you very much for that. Let's now dive into that big travel trade overall. Steve Grasso, maybe we'll begin with you. As we take a look at what's happening, we are seeing, yes, people want to travel for the holidays. Will they do so? Do you have travel plans? And do you think the rest of America shares your sentiment? I I don't have travel plans, but it's not as if I had them and canceled them. I just like to stay home for the holidays and, and be around family. But I do think I agree with that. If people had international, they now switched it to domestic. If they had domestic, they switched it to driving someplace. So I I do think if you look at the airline stocks, the hotel stocks, the last three months, Dom, tell the story. You've had airline stocks that, that have been beaten up aggressively. And then if you look at the last three months, that's how you should gauge whether you want to buy a hotel name like a Marriott or a VAC, like a vacation club Marriott, which is more of the timeshare model. When I look at this, I think people's minds have changed. 
substantively about how they're going to vacation. They don't want to be in a room in a mass hotel anymore. They want to be in more of like the VAC hotel, vacation club hotel. And if you look at, as Seema said, uh, around the cruise lines, if you're looking to really get that bounce back, the cruise lines have bounced back pretty impressively, but they're still not back to that 50% retracement for the last three months. So for me, if you're looking for a real catch-up trade, it's that. I own personally YOU, Clear Secure. That has not bounced. That looks like we're never going to get back to travel again. So if all of these other areas have bounced, then YOU is due for one as well. So th- that's an interesting point, that the, the, the idea that some trades have outpaced others in this. Uh, you know, Brian, I, I was looking at you, and, and, and you, you were kind of nodding agreement a little bit with some of what, what, what Steve just said. Do you feel as though there is still fuel in the tank for, for certain parts of the travel and leisure trade to come back? And if so, which are the ones that you're trying to play? Is it just the airlines and hotels, or is it live events like Live Nation? Where do you go? Yeah, there's a lot of different ways to play it. And I do agree with Steve that I think, you know, this pandemic, I'm not worried about travel stocks getting hit by the pandemic anymore because the pandemic will be over when people stop caring. And you look no closer, no further than uh, the cruise lines to look at those bookings. People just don't care. People are getting infected, but they're still going on vacation. So I think if we think if I think about pandemic, that is not a part of the analysis anymore with the airlines especially since Omicron is so contagious, is ripping through the population so fast, we are likely to have herd immunity relatively soon. So that part's over. The only thing that would really hurt the travel industry is some kind of a recession that came along, and that would likely hurt business travel. But if you look at the way that the airlines are trading, they're not telling you that at all. They bottomed here. They've been very strong. So going into the spring, I think you can buy the airlines. I would stick domestic, if anything, because we don't know what internationally people are going to do. I think there's going to be less international travel. But you look at something like a JetBlue, which even gets some feeding from international, that chart looks great. I would say, you know, JetBlue, Delta, any of those, you're going to be all right. Isn't that the key, though, Guy Dami? Isn't that the key, that the idea that there's just COVID fatigue? I, I mean, I'm fatigued. I don't want to think about it anymore. I've been trying to get out and travel some. And admittedly, I have traveled even internationally over the last six to nine months. And this idea that that maybe we are just due to get back to normal. We, we really want to go and do that. But I wonder how much of that is already priced in. I mean, th- this has been a massive run already since the March, April lows of, of last year. In terms of the airlines, you know, and we've talked about this. We've talked about it a lot, actually. The airlines all topped out in terms of stocks when the news on the vaccines was at its best back in the spring. And you can go back and look. Now, when the news seemingly is back at its worst, and you can you know, take that for what it's worth, these stocks are starting to turn to the upside. I think it's really very bullish for airlines, and I think you can play sort of the downstream place. Airbnb, to me, is cheap here. I know that sounds crazy, but I think Airbnb has a lot of room to the upside. And we have mentioned Expedia uh, quite a few times. Look at the week that stock has had, and that is absolutely poised to take out the recent all-time high of 192. So, you know, I don't know what the future holds. Nobody does, but I'll tell you, the airlines did back in the spring, and I think they do now as well. Tim Seymour, is there a real paradigm <laughs> shift in, 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 in kind of what Steve was referring to? Have certain habits for us changed? Am I going to be looking towards Airbnbs for my accommodations more than I had in the past? Am I going to be looking to vacation club rentals? Am I going to be using sites like Verbo and those other types of sites more than I do, say, Marriott or Hilton or anybody else for a traditional hotel? 
Well, so, some of my habits are the same. I've never been on a cruise. I don't see that happening ever. And, and, and I think there's some dynamics in terms of how we're vacationing. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that the changes are going to be as profound as that. I think um, sites like Verbo and Airbnb are, are a, a secular and a technology trend. And, and some of these are enhanced and supported by the Expedia and the bookings. And, and if you, again, Expedia up 20 percent since Friday. Um, I, I think what's happening is, and even a Royal, an uh, uh, RCL or a Carnival Cruise, where we're getting some data points. And we, we know that by 23, EBITDA will be 15% north. At least this is the guide from Carnival of where it was on 2019. So you, you're seeing the second half bookings. You're seeing the 23 bookings. It, it's not so much around the holiday season. I think the airlines um, are, are also a, a slightly different story. The, the, the interesting thing for investors is that the fundamentals or the bottom up is starting to also have an impact in how you assess some of these subsectors within travel and leisure. For example, with airlines, you know, Delta had a investor day last week where they, they basically guided that they are cutting capacity um, and they may see higher costs, but that they truly are targeting higher yields. So you have a better sense of where these companies are coming out of all of this. We have a better idea of where liquidity is. Um, I think the one place that I believe is most interesting are the casinos. And, and I've talked about Las Vegas Sands, which has been really a sideways trade since, since uh, I've identified the opportunity. I think travel mobility is back. Um, I think there's a case where a company is involved in technology. They have assets throughout Southeast Asia, not just in Hong Kong, not just China exposure. And, and I think you have to look at liquidity there as well. So casinos would be where I would throw my hat in the ring on a reopening trade that I don't think is run. But a 10 percent move in airlines to me back to old resistance, I think, is a is a a trade you want to stay in. And I actually think we're going to push through there. Tim Seymour, it's almost like you read my mind, because the one thing that we hadn't talked about that much during this kind of roundtable that we've just had is the casino side of things. And I would argue even the restaurant side of things like a Darden or a, you know, a Brinker International or something like that. But but let's let's I, I want to kind of get to one last point here and one that also hasn't really been brought up. And that's the ride share side of things. We're talking Uber and Lyft. Guy, I, I wonder if I could turn to you on this one. I have actually taken Ubers and Lyfts a handful of times over the course of the last few months here. It seems kind of normal. I'm still back in a mask. But I talk to the drivers that, that, that I'm with and they seem to think like there's no other drivers out there. They're busy as heck because they don't think that there are as many of their colleagues out there driving. Is there a cap to the business that Uber and Lyft could see for taking passengers around? Not, not food, passengers. I don't know if there's a cap, and I'll one-up you, by the way. I actually worked at Lyft, um, just to throw that out there. I but remember we had the CEO that, by of the Lyft way. On. You do? Of course you do. I, do. I was hoping to get you as a passenger, but I was thwarted <laughs> in my efforts. But, you know, he actually, we asked him, you know, we said, you just came off a ridiculously strong quarter. All the metrics were great. Are you surprised at how poorly your stock is traded? Not thinking he would give us an answer. He did. He said absolutely yes. And that the stock was 37, I think. I think Uber, I think Lyft, excuse me, has a lot of upside here. I think UBS put a $75 price target-ish. I don't know if it's getting there, but I think it's getting to the mid-50s. So to answer your question, you know, I don't know in terms of caps for the drivers, but in terms of the stocks, I think there's a lot of runway to the upside. A lot of runway there. Looking at rideshare for sure. Some of the travel outlooks that we've been talking about are certainly going to be impacted despite those Omicron risks. Now, our next guest calls... The holiday travel season, very strong. Elaine Becker, you know her. She follows the airline stocks. For Cowan, we bring her on oftentimes to tell us about the state of the travel business. Helene, thank you for joining us this afternoon. It's great to have you on, as always. You heard the conversation happening around some of those airlines. The last time we spoke, you were trying to tell me a little bit more about the international travel demand as you see it. 
Has that outlook changed? Um, well, first, thanks for having me and happy holidays to everybody. Not In our view, not really. Um, the winter months are generally not a point in time when, when U.S. citizens travel to Europe. So we um, think that international will actually pick up in the summer months. So think kind of around spring break, April-ish through the end of August. And we still think that um, it's going to be very strong. We think this is going to be one of the best summers ever. You'll have two years worth of demand and you'll have um, not the capacity. You won't have the capacity that that will not be back. You know, the, the, the one interesting point in our last conversation uh, a number of weeks ago was this notion that y- you found certain carriers we're going to be better positioned to take advantage of that, that at least near-term travel trend over the next, say, three to six months. Uh, it was specifically not the majors, right? It wasn't necessarily some of those names we talk about often like American or, or American or United or, or, or uh, Alaska or any of those other ones. Are, are there other carriers you feel as though would be better positioned for that domestic travel boom that you think might be coming? Yeah, so we we like Allegiant, which is a small cap or maybe mid cap stock. Um, they have about eighty percent of their routes are monopoly routes, so they have very limited competition. Um, and that's they're they're based down in Las Vegas, but they have big operations in South Florida as well as Las Vegas and elsewhere in the U.S. So we like them. I think that's a good stock. Frontier, they they call themselves the greenest airline in America, um, but they they also also have good exposure and they have good exposure to Mexico and the Caribbean. And, you know, I think you guys have talked a lot about Mexico welcoming lots of lots of people. And, and it's it's pretty easy to travel back and forth between Mexico and the U.S. You have to test to come back. But um, they, they are exposed in that market as well. So those are two airlines we like. And, and then United is our top pick for 2022. And that's a combination of domestic and international. They're, they're not the largest U.S. domestic airline that would go to American, but they're really well positioned for leisure travel demand um, on the North Atlantic for the summer. So, so basically, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but we should look at domestic now and then transition into the international plays in the next couple of months and then the second part is are you looking at balance sheets is delta (laughs) and southwest are those your keys yes okay so to the first part of your question yes um i had thought that we would be transitioning into the international airlines kind of now but obviously the omicron variant is probably maybe not so obvious but it's going to push travel demand internationally back by maybe two months so to your point um domestic now and then start thinking about transitioning to international in like february march and then the other part of your question balance sheets yes we look at them and delta has a delta and southwest still have fortress balance sheets those are the two best um alaska air and JetBlue actually have very strong balance sheets as, as well they've very relatively low debt to cap given the level of borrowing and Alaska Air did not have to dilute shareholder. So they're one of the few airlines that actually didn't have to raise capital on the equity side. So so we like Alaska Air as well. And, and they have the odd exposure domestically. They have the exposure to Hawaii and they have exposure to Mexico and Costa Rica. Um, and then, of course, you get united with with a pretty heavy debt load and American as well. 
Although Americans' balance sheet isn't as, as bad be, as it maybe was a year and a half or so ago because they've paid down a lot of debt and they don't have any big maturities until 2023. So they're actually not in a, not in a bad position. All right. The top pick from Helene Becker at Cowan is United Airlines. Thank you very much, Helene. It's always great. Your thoughts. Have a great day and a, and a great holiday as well. Thanks, you too. Bye, everybody. All right. Thanks, Elaine. Let's trade around this, folks. Uh, maybe, Tim Seymour, we'll start with you. I mean, we spoke a, a, about a number of those airline trends in our initial conversation. Did Helene shed any light on some of those, at, at least points that you would be looking at as a trader investor with regard to whether or not certain airlines would fare better than others? Well, on balance sheet, we've talked about this on Fast Money a lot, that the enterprise value of some of these companies like American have changed. Uh, those that have raised debt, it just, it just means that, that the, the, the EV, EBITDA multiples um, can be deceiving or tell a slightly different story uh, versus the company of pre-pandemic. If you think about where airlines were re-rating massively from 2015 through 2018, so before we even thought about pandemic, um, the dynamic there was about efficiency and about yields. And, and, and the minute we sniff out that airlines are going back to their old ways, and remember, these are companies that have all gone through bankruptcy, that's when the industry's gotten destroyed. United at the top of that list. So again, Helene is one of the best in, in her field. I'm not pushing back on United. Uh, I think we actually need to start looking at the subtleties of airlines and again, those efficiencies on yields one more time. And Delta, to me, has the premium franchise right now. They generate the premium yields. And I think that's what matters most now when investing in airlines. But I think the trade and airlines are trading stocks is very much to the upside. And, and I think you can trade this. You know, Beaks, it's interesting because if you look at the market caps of, United, or of Delta Airlines in the Southwest, you can kind of tell that, that investors are paying up for those fortress balance sheets that Helene talked about. They're the two most valuable mm-hmm. airline stocks in America. It used to be companies like American and United. Do you feel as though we're only talking about the same three or four airlines for investment opportunities? Should we be looking for other airlines, say, like in Alaska or say, like some of those other ones out there that maybe aren't getting attention like Allegiant? Ah, ding, 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 Dom. That's exactly the one that I was thinking about, right? So that's something that Helene brought up. And frankly, I hadn't thought about it. But Allegiant has, uh, is, is levered towards Las Vegas and towards the casino. So now you have a subset of travelers that are already ready to, already uh, willing to risk themselves. So they don't have to worry about the pandemic at all. They're already risk takers. So I like Allegiant here. All right. Brian Kelly with the Legion. This is his call. Thank you guys very much. Coming up on the show, new year, new gains. A top technician joins us with his stock picks for 2022. We've got those trades ahead. But first, a Bitcoin crystal ball. Our Brian Kelly, you just heard him. He's spotting a trend in the market overall. What exactly is he watching? Stick around to find out. We've got much more fast money ahead on this after this break. Welcome back to Fast Money. If you're trying to predict the future, our Brian Kelly is peering into his crystal ball and watching one possibly leading indicator. Beaks, what are you following? What are you seeing? Yeah, Dom, predictions are hard, especially when they're about the future. So let me take a stab at it, though. So, you know, my world that I look at every day is Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. And so when I look at that and as Bitcoin gets more institutionalized, it is starting to get more correlated with the traditional markets. So look at, this is, uh, you know, Bitcoin versus the NASDAQ. The 30-day rolling correlation of Bitcoin and the NASDAQ index is about 47%. That's the highest correlation we have seen since September when the NASDAQ and Bitcoin bottomed. 
And then finally, you look at these and they're basically trading in lockstep. So let's take a look at the chart here, right? We have Bitcoin versus the NASDAQ. You can see they trade in lockstep, except for notice, Bitcoin tends to lead the NASDAQ. Usually about five to 10 days or so, Bitcoin trading tends to lead. What do we have over the weekend? We had Bitcoin break out from a relatively short-term range. So I'm looking at this and saying, okay, you know, as more institutions come in, they're using that as a pro-cyclical risk-on inflation hedge. If that's the same thing that the NASDAQ is getting and Bitcoin starting to tick up, then it's reasonable to assume that as long as this correlation holds, that maybe the NASDAQ has bottomed here. And as we look into Q1 of 2022, we're going to get a bottom in both Bitcoin and the NASDAQ, and they may trade higher together. All right. So, so an interesting point there as we're looking at, as we're looking at the charts. Uh, Tim Seymour, I, I wonder, you've spoken in the past about this. You've noticed this kind of similar trend here. Over the course of the last several months, we've, we've referred to Bitcoin as both a safe haven trade and a risk asset as well. So what's the predominant theme or driving force behind the cryptocurrency trade now? Is it the safe haven or is it that kind of risk on, as BK puts it, trade that you put on because you think things are going to go higher across the board? Well, it's a safe haven within its own asset class, clearly, and, and yet it's a proxy play for risk and liquidity on some level. And, and why I agree with BK that if you look at those charts, even look at the September pullback uh, in the triple Qs, it was a case where I make the argument that Bitcoin led that. And there's different reasons. BK pointed out the institutional adoption. Um, I do think that in, in general, we are assessing uh, some of Bitcoin's moves over the last couple of years is not just the secular trend that I think continues that, that BK's talked about and was on very early. Uh, I think it's also a function of Federal Reserve and central bank liquidity and fear of that and fear of fiat currencies. Um, I think the dynamic in terms of the technical side of this trade is also that a ton of money has been made in crypto land and a ton of money has been made by holders of Bitcoin. And at times when we've seen more volatility and, and a broader risk off, you know, there's an argument that also uh, investors in Bitcoin have been using uh, the top five or six mega cap tech stocks as almost their, their money markets, their treasury stock, uh, a place to park capital, a place to go actually uh, at times be more defensive. But at times when markets are running, we've also seen them hit that same group of stocks. You know, it's so crazy. Uh, Steve, I mean, uh, I've spoken to a number of who I would characterize as traditional stock traders and investors, and and the conversation from them has turned all kinds of ways towards crypto. But to Tim's point, if if there are folks out there who are traditional equity investors who are looking at at then crypto and then crypto investors looking towards things like the Nasdaq as a as a money market fund. Is this a market that we can actually trust or is fundamentally oriented in in any way, shape or form? Yeah, first of all, let me start off with I agree with BK's analysis. And I I like the fact that it's it's risk on and safe haven. Right. So that's that's something that you want in in one of your holdings. But, Dom, I make it really easy next year. Are we going to see more Bitcoin purchases or less? The answer is more. Are we going to see more acceptance by institution institutions to get into Bitcoin and alt currencies, I I think it's going to be more without question. That means to me that whether you want to pick safe haven or risk asset, it means higher prices in Bitcoin. And ultimately, if BK is right, which I think he is, maybe we have seen the bottom in the uh, in the Nasdaq as well. All right. We're just getting started here on Fast Money, folks. Here's what's coming up next on the show. Step into the metaverse. Steph Curry is the latest celebrity athlete to launch an NFT sneaker line. Those details ahead. 
plus your 2022 playbook. A top technician joins us with his stock picks for next year. We're going off the charts. You're watching Fast Money. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Count them. Just six trading days left in 2021, and boy, what a year it's been for the market. The S&P is up roughly 25 percent, and with 2022 fast approaching, our next guest says, well, he's got three names that he says will ring in the new year with some gains and a bang. It's time to go off the charts with Chris Verone over at Strategus. Chris, I'd like to know, I'm very curious, with bated breath, what are you watching? Well, Dom, great to see you. Merry Christmas. Uh, a couple of things I want to talk about uh, today. First, we'll just start with the broader setup here. And, you know, we're in this pretty sharp rally over the last several days for the S&P. Put this in context of sentiment. If you look at some of the retail sentiment surveys, I'm showing you the AAII retail survey here. People are nervous. People got uncomfortable. I think this is a sentiment-driven rally, whether it was Fed or inflation or virus. You actually saw one of the highest bearish readings in this survey uh, over the last several weeks. You tend to rally out of that condition. And if we go to the next chart, the big question I have for 22 before we get to some of these picks is, what does the credit environment look like in 22? For the last 20 months, this market has been characterized by very, very benign credit. Uh, High-yield CDS spreads peaked at about 340 basis points in early December. I don't want to see spreads widen beyond that next year. So that'll be a trigger for us. We'll watch that. In terms of names that I like uh, into next year, we'll start in the basic material space. We like Alcoa. Our suspicion here is that the dollar is starting to top, and I think some of these basic material bellwethers are really in a good spot to resume his leadership. He had a 25% correction in Alcoa this fall. It's responded emphatically from that. That's how stocks and uptrends respond. Uh, we like that. We think that goes on uh, and continues to really offer leadership next year. Uh, second, we want to talk about one of the great big bases in this market, and that's Cisco. Uh, obviously been very strong recently, but when you take a step back and look at the 20-year chart or the 30-year chart of Cisco, you have just broken out of about a 20-year range. The old highs on Cisco are near 80. That's from 2000. We think ultimately uh, that's where that one is going. And kind of sticking with the theme of really big bases, names that have been largely dead money for a decade or two, Pfizer comes to mind. Now, it has momentum recently. The stock is up a lot recently. I would look to buy any weakness here. This is another name coming out of a 20-year range. I find it curious, as Pfizer works, Moderna actually seems to be topping here. So the market might be sending us a message there. Uh, And then lastly, on the other side, so we had three longs, and then I want to finish with the name that makes us uncomfortable here, and it's one of the largest names in the market. It's Amazon. And I'm just struck by the fact that we've been in this 18, 20, 21-month environment where consumer discretionary has been so strong, and Amazon hasn't made anyone any money. There's 59 analysts who cover the stock. All 59 of them have a buy on it. So it's a consensus long that isn't working. That troubles us here. So we'll look to the longs, basic materials like Alcoa, Cisco in tech, Pfizer in healthcare. Be skeptical of Amazon. Chris, pretty unbelievable call on Amazon. Uh, I'll just push back because, I, first of all, I happen yeah. to agree with you. But the pushback is we saw, re, we saw sideways action like that back in 2018 all the way into late 2019 before the stock took the next leg higher. Some would suggest we have a similar pattern now. We're just going sideways before the next breakout. Is that a possibility? I know you've taken that into consideration. 
of of course we have, and I want to offer a distinction. And I think, Guy, um, what's really important here in 2018, when Amazon was moving sideways, it was actually outperforming within discretionary. So by going sideways, it was outperforming in a sector that was already in decline. Remember, dis- uh, discretionary peaked about two years before COVID. So the sector was weakening. Amazon, by a function of going sideways, was leadership. That's obviously not the case here. So our concern is really on a relative side for Amazon. 18, 19, 20 months here in this you know, uh, fantastic consumer environment, and, and Amazon hasn't worked. That troubles us because it's a relative underperformer. It's made new relative price lows this week. Not a great setup. All right. Thanks very much, Chris, for running with those setups there. Alcoa and Pfizer and Cisco Systems. All right, folks, let's trade around this. Uh, I mean, let's turn to you, first of all, BK, Brian Kelly, are any of those compelling for you? These are some old world names that we don't talk about very often, but we should. I mean, they're, they're mega cap companies. Right, right. No, absolutely. So Cisco is the one that I like the most. And not only does it have, it's breaking out, but it's got a great dividend. And if you think about what Chris said there, if the dollar is topping, that implies that rates have probably gone as high as they're going to go, maybe a little bit higher. But that also means the economy might be slowing. Right. And in the slowing economy, if rates are going down, I want something that's going to pay me a nice dividend here and, it, and that the dividend isn't at risk. So now I've got a breakout with a slowing economy and then add in maybe you get some stimulus coming on in the rest of the year. So I like that. I think the Amazon call is really interesting because if you think about it, is Amazon ever going to have a period like they've had where everybody's locked at home, you have to use Amazon, and all your uh, competitors are, are shut down? I don't think it gets any better than that for Amazon, so I would be taking profits in that. All right, Steve Grasso, I'll turn to you here. The, the Amazon call obviously getting some attention here. I, I'm wondering about Cisco. I mean, I, I remember the days of Cisco back in 99, 2000. Is this one of those stocks like uh, maybe Intel is next, Cisco and Intel? Do they finally reclaim those dot com era highs? So, yeah, when, when I look at it, uh, it's, it's the same type of thing. When I look at Alcoa, you're button up against uh, long term resistance, 2018 resistance uh, to be specific. When you look at Pfizer, I've been long that name forever. And that one is just a rocket ship. But I can't say buy that now. Cisco, for me, would be the only one. Then I look at a chart and I say, you know what, I could buy into that chart now, even though it's up 37% year to date, it just broke out, which means that there will be some follow through. That would be my safest bet. All right. Coming up on the show, folks, we're going shopping. Steph Curry selling sneakers for what you wear in, in the metaverse, if you can believe that. Virtual sneakers, we'll call them, in the metaverse. We've got those details coming up next. Plus, one options trader is betting this COVID vaccine maker, this one right here in the mystery chart, is getting ready for a big boost. We'll reveal the name and the trade. That's coming up ahead. Much more Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. The metaverse became mainstream in 2021 with celebrities, athletes, and companies all trying to mark their turf in the digital realm. But there's still work to be done before the virtual world is ready for real-world users. So what lies ahead in 2022? Julia Borston has that for us virtually and physically. 
I'm here, Dom, as real as this is. Now, some key technology advancements are expected to come next year, and that could really help make the metaverse a reality. First, there's some new augmented reality and virtual reality headsets that are expected, including from two companies that you talk a lot about here on Fast Money, Meta and Apple. Now, Meta is working on a higher-end device and its current Oculus offerings. This new device, which is codenamed Project Cambria, layers virtual reality onto the real world. Apple is widely expected to introduce an AR VR headset around the end of next year. The second key thing to watch here is interoperability. Once people can bring their avatars and their virtual goods from one platform into another, that should make all of those virtual investments more valuable. And another key thing to watch is augmented reality that doesn't need special hardware. Imagine AR showing up on your phone. Now check out this technology. This green screen room can capture someone with 30 cameras. This is a technology called volumetric video to then create what looks like a hologram that pops up on your phone. So it looks like it's in the room with you. That's how I spoke to the CEO of this hologram startup, 8i, which is behind this technology you're looking at right now. So that kind of hologram technology, it was really specifically designed for beaming live concerts and other live performances into your house, Dom. So you can imagine maybe someday watching a Netflix stand-up and you would be able to see the comedian standing in your living room rather than on your TV set. I grew up watching the Jetsons, and I can tell you right now that everything that was uh, conceptual back then is kind of real life right now, except for the flying cars, although, Julia, I think those are coming soon. Thank you very much, Julia, and we'll see you both in this world and the meta one as well. All right, guys, let's trade around this one. I, I wonder, Guy Adami, I'll turn to you for this one here. The metaverse, it's a, it's a thing. People are actually putting money into it, billions, in fact, like Meta Platforms, a company formerly known as Facebook. But is that the play? Do you look at platform companies like Meta, or is it about the computer networking companies like a Cisco or a Sienna, or is it about all these other brands that are trying to make virtual goods? Who's, who's the best bet here? I'm glad you asked. If you listen to Mark Mahaney, he has said that Coinbase will be the bank of the metaverse. And I will tell you, Coinbase recently scored quite a awful, great word, by the way, for people. I mean, the stock went from 225 to 370. It's round tripped it. You know what? I think Coinbase at these levels is worth a look. I mean, listen, the metaverse is not going to be for a few years, clearly. But the action in Coinbase and the move back down to that recent low suggests Coinbase is absolutely worthy of a trade with sort of the added kicker of the metaverse. BK, what do you think? Metaverse, what's the best way to play it? Well, for me, the metaverse is a crypto trade because what are all these things built on? They're built on these crypto platforms. So you look at something like an Ethereum or Solana. Those are probably the two leading ones right now that are going to build this digital world. Mm -hmm. Secondarily, Julia uh, mentioned interoperability. That's going to be key. So I look again to the crypto world. That's going to be Cosmos Atoms. That's going to be Polkadot. They offer that interoperability among platforms. So if you really want that growth area, that's the place that I would look. And that kind of ties in with guys Coinbase and that Coinbase is going to be the beneficiary of that crypto volume. Tim Seymour, I'd like to talk about brands because we've got one big one and a brand ambassador that we all know, Steph Curry, Under Armour, everything else that's going on there. I mean, are they are they really selling virtual sneakers? I mean, they are for 300 some dollars and they're selling out. That's the bottom line here. So people are really getting involved in buying virtual goods. And Steph Curry is going to be near the tip of the spear. He's not the first one. But you got to imagine a lot more folks are going to follow him with regard to this whole meta play on selling goods 
online in a virtual universe. I'd love to see Steph Curry on that treadmill that George Jetson couldn't keep up with. And, and anyway, Jane, stop this crazy thing. All right. So <laughs> brands in the metaverse and brands in the current universe and Under Armour, I don't think has them. So I, I just, you know, I want to point out that um, I, I think Steph Curry is a marketing god. I think he's not only just a basketball god, but he's a guy who who prints well. And I think, you know, he getting behind his star right now is really important. And this is an exciting moment. But but Under Armour is not innovating like Nike. Under Armour, uh, I think, has pulled forward a lot of gross margin help. And I don't see them increasing the revenue. So in terms of getting behind the celebrity endorsements, um, I, I realize that's made the sneaker world go. And Steph Curry is as hot as anybody, as any athlete in the world right now. Um, but it's not enough to save uh, Under Armour, which isn't cheap, also relative to Nike. So, again, I, I would rather and I am long Nike and I would own Nike over Under Armour all day long. All right. From virtual content to real estate, real assets, home building. Those stocks are rising today and raising the roof, so to speak. What's behind the move higher? We'll break that down coming up next. Plus, Cat, Caterpillar, climbs higher on a Wall Street upgrade. That call coming up ahead as well. We've got more Fast Money coming up after this quick commercial break. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out what's happening with the home builders rallying today despite some weaker than expected November housing numbers. Existing home sales rising 1.9 percent last month. That's weaker than analysts were expecting, but still the third straight month of gains. And that was enough to give a boost to the builders overall. You can see there a lot of gains there for the home builders. Shows of Toll Brothers. Lennar, KB Home, DR Horton, NVR, you name them, all pretty much closing in the green. Now, the broader sector ETF, the ticker XHB, the Spider Home Builders ETF, also up today as well, one and a half percent. Let's break down the housing trade. Tim, how exactly are you playing it? Well, I, I, I tend to like the trains, the the uh, the carriers, you know, some of the the HVAC parts, but also uh, the, the you know the Home Depot's, the Lowe's for sure, and and then we talk a lot about restorations to hardware and Williams Sonoma. I, I think you know valuations, especially at a Williams Sonoma, not aggressive here, and and I think the world that we live in, um, with the consumer still continuing to spend on prices in their houses that give them more equity value, uh, I think these are stocks to stay with. All right, BK, or do you, do you stick with the builders, or do you go with the Loams, Home Depot, William, William Sonoma, the ancillary kind of home builder, build a remodeling type trade. Yeah, I feel like the remodeling trades are pretty long in the tooth. So you look at Lowe's and Home Depot, they've done really well. Not necessarily say they're going to go down, but I'd be taking profits in those. How much better is that going to get? Again, you had this situation where you had a a perfect, wonderful storm uh, for these companies. If anything, I'd probably look more towards a KB Homes, uh, something like that. But it has to break out. I would much rather wait for momentum on this because what I'm concerned about is input costs. You look at lumber prices, they're up again. So I'm a little concerned concerned about that. So I think it's it's time to be cautious and defensive when it comes to the housing in sector. All right. Let's go to a bigger picture trade here. Caterpillar building some big gains today following a bullish note by analysts over at Bernstein. Shares of the machinery stock topping the tape there. You can see they're up almost 2% at the close. Analysts at the firm saying that the stock is cheap and the market is underestimating its near-term growth potential. The firm is also expecting a boost from falling steel prices next year. Guy Adami, is this Caterpillar trade one that you would like? Yes, stock is cheap. I mean, it had that huge run up into the spring. I think I made an all-time high at 246. Did a back and fill. We've been going sideways sort of ever since. And at 16 times next year's numbers with about 18% EPS growth, 
stock is cheap. So I'm with them on this one. I like the call. Stock's been tough now for a while, but I think it's going to get off the mat here. Well done. I like this one. Tim Seymour, would you, be, would you rather be in cat or deer? I tell you what, I, I think the, the farm world has got a little bit more cyclicality to it right now. So, you know, I'll go into construction. I mean, I, 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 which would put me more in the caterpillar camp. I, I do think these industrial names are, are ones where we're continuing to see that rotation that the market overall is favoring. Uh, lower valued industrial and, and even some of the less cyclical stocks. So, yes, like this call on Caterpillar. All right. Coming up on the show, options traders are making a big bet on one of the vaccine makers. You know the name. We'll reveal which one and the trade right after this quick break. We've got more Fast Money coming back in two minutes. Welcome back. This is Fast Money, but here's a sneak peek at the Kramer camp for Mad Money. Jim right now talking with the CEO of Paychex. You can catch that full exclusive interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money coming up after this show. And don't forget, by the way, you can have Kramer delivered right to your email inbox with the CNBC Investing Club. Sign up now with all the info on your screen. Just point your phone right at that QR code on your screen. Well, it was a tale of two vaccine stocks today. Pfizer eking out some gains, as you can see there after the FDA granted emergency use authorization, EUA, for its at-home antiviral COVID pill, while Moderna slipped deep into the red. But the tale might not be over because one options trader is making a multi-million dollar, very large bet on a very big turnaround for Moderna. Tony Zhang is joining us now to break it all down. Tony. Yeah, Dom, Moderna, uh, one trader seemingly taking advantage of the 6% decline today and buying the dip effectively. Um, the Moderna traded fairly active here, about 184,000 contracts traded, which is about 1.3 times the average daily volume. But one particular trade were 700 contracts of the September 2022 330 calls were purchased for an average price of about $27.30. Now, these are call options that are about 32% out of the money. But to just, just to put this trade into context, this particular trader is betting $1.9 million in premium that the stock is going to be likely 42% higher between now and September. So this is a fairly bullish bet, perhaps betting that we're going to need a lot more boosters here next year. All right. Tony Zhang with a big deal and a big trade in Moderna options. Thank you very much. Let's trade around it, folks. Steve Grasso, what do you think of this Moderna big call, buying call options outright? Yeah, I actually don't like it. I, you know, the, the option guys are always smart, intelligent traders. But when you look at the chart, the chart tells me that the stock wants to go lower. It's the inverse to what you see with Pfizer plus Dom. The stock is up 140 percent year to date. It seems like it's run out of gas. And when people are playing the vaccines, they've definitely put their chips into the Pfizer basket and they get a a bit of value with that and a bit of risk and a bit of the variant uh, headwinds that we look like we're going to be dealing with for the foreseeable future. But Moderna seems to me as if it was just that growth play and people are getting tired of it and bailing. All right. Interesting. Two sides of that story for sure there. For more options action, by the way, be sure to tune into the full show next Friday at 530 p.m. Eastern time right here on CNBC. Coming up after the break, you got it. Your final trades. It's that time. Final trades. Go around the horn. Tim Seymour. 
We debated Amazon earlier. I, I think that chart from February has been a slow up grind. We're at the bottom of that slow up range. And I, I'm actually a buyer of Amazon here. All Thanks right, Steve for joining Grasso. us, Tom. Steve Grasso. Y-O-U, clear, secure. We talked about the travel stocks. If they've all popped or, or bounced at the very least, Tom, this one should be rallying 30, 40, 45% from here. Beaks, Brian Kelly. You know what? I like Cisco, a dinosaur with a dividend. Dinosaur with a dividend and Guy Adami. Beaks, Airbnb, and Nantucket. Airbnb and Nantucket. Thanks very much, folks, for watching. Happy holidays. Mad Money. It starts right now.